Welcome back to The Human Exception. This week I will be talking about the labyrinth-like 160-room, four-story Winchester Mystery House. Was it truly built by spirits, or the passion project of an eccentric woman? As always, be prepared for foul language and let's get ready for another Human Exception. thing okay so i am doing the winchester mystery house yes <laughs> all right so after the death of her husband sarah winchester would begin building a house unlike any other in 1886 one whose construction continued all the way until her death on september 5th 1922 so sarah winchester so born in 1839 in new haven connecticut she was the fifth of seven children well, today she's mostly remembered for the construction of this house and her marriage to William Wirt Winchester. She was actually a fascinating character all on her own. Got a nice little portrait for you. So she's acclaimed to be a child prodigy akin to Francis Bacon. It's said that by age 12, she was fluent in Latin, French, Spanish, and Italian. Um, she had a great interest in the classics, particularly Homer and Shakespeare, and was a remarkable musician. This on top of her natural beauty, the New Haven Society would come to know her as the Belle of New Haven. So at an early age, she was admitted to Yale's only female scholastic institution known as the Young Ladies Collegiate Institute. She grew up surrounded by scholars, philosophers, and Freemasons, both in her family and at the school. So yeah, apparently Yale had this like small section for women for a while there. Here's a picture. Um from one of those early classes. In 1894, seven women graduated with PhDs two years after the school actually allowed them to apply for graduate degrees. So that's what? Cool. That's me. Yeah. This picture's great. Right? Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, I had to add that in there. That's amazing. Uh, so among Sarah's friends were her schoolmates, Susan and Rebecca Bacon, not related to Francis Bacon. During their attendance, their Aunt Delia would attract considerable fame for her startling conclusion that Francis Bacon was actually responsible for the works of Shakespeare, which is, you guys go back to our first episode, you can learn all I about am, that. I'm, I, you have no idea. I'm just like, I'm over here like... <gasps> <laughs> so, with her connection to the Bacon family and passion for Shakespeare, this idea would take root and she remained a sta staunch Baconian for the rest of her life. Yes. She, she believes. So. She believes. <laughs> It's also believed that Sarah was later would later become a theosophist. Uh, theosophy, theosophy. There you go. Theosophy Ooh. is a religion that was founded in the late nineteenth century. It's known only to have one mandatory tenet, which is to form a nucleus of the universal brotherhood of humanity without distinction of race, creed, sex, caste, or color. So, doesn't sound terrible to me. Hope oh, it does not. So she also adhered to the theosophical perspective held by Rudolf Steiner. He viewed the universe as a vast living organism in which all things are likened to individually evolving units or cells that comprise a greater universal synergistic body that is ever building, which is kind of relates to what, what happens coming up. Okay. Um, oh, oh, oh my gosh. Okay. 
You got it? <laughs> yep, yep. Sorry, it took me a second there. <laughs> All right. Um, so this has some gentlemen is uh, William Wirt Winchester. On September 30th, 1862, she would marry this guy, um, and he was the heir to the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. Listen, men, if you aren't growing out your mutton chops like that, what are you doing? You, you just gotta go all the way at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the two had their first child. There was a daughter, a daughter named Annie on July 12th, 1866. But unfortunately, the child died 40 days later of marasmus, a severe form of malnutrition due to the body's inability to metabolize proteins. So Ooh. this would be their only child. They never had a child again. Um, I guess they were just too brokenhearted over the thing. So... Um, years later, in 1880, Oliver Winchester, the father of William, dies, passing the company on to his son. And three months later, her her husband would then die of tuberculosis. So, mm-hmm. A couple months later, her husband's mother would also die. So just bad luck all around there. Um, but she did get a staggering inheritance of $20.5 million in 1881. Today, that's $550 million. Holy shit. Yeah. And she received nearly 50% of the ownership of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. So this left her with roughly an income of $1,000 a day, or $27,000 a day today. Oh, I'm going to throw up. Right? Could you imagine? No! There are tons of people who don't make that in a year. Right? So little is known about Sarah. Um, what she, we're sorry, little is known about what she did in the years between the death of her husband and then the purchasing the land of the house that was built. Um, according to Ralph Rambo, as a friend of Sarah's, she went on a three-year world tour. Tour. One theory is that she went on a Masonic journey. The Freemasons traditionally don't allow women to join their lodges, but there is a document case that goes as far back as the 18th century of headstrong women making their way into the ranks. And she definitely was headstrong. She was very well-bred. She had, was very well-educated and intelligent. So, And she had plenty of family, and her teachers and stuff were also Masons. So there was also even a, a movement in France at the time called Co-Freemasonry, which allowed for female membership that was underway when Sarah arrived in the country. So with Sarah's education, family history, social status, and her own personal interest in the Mason, it's not a far stretch to imagine that she may have sought to join, out, join one of these lodges and even likely succeeded. Other thoughts are that maybe she just explored Europe and became inspired by the beautiful architecture. We really don't know. We have no idea. There's no documentation of what she did while she was out there. Huh. And if she's a Freemason, we'd never know. True. <laughs> or we should know or whatever. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so returning from her trip, she would move out west away from New Haven. And it's thought that she settled in San Francisco Bay area as that's where much of her family had gone during the 1849 gold rush. In 1884, she purchased an unfinished farmhouse in Santa Clara Valley and began to build her mansion. So I've got a picture of the farmhouse. So just a cute little house. Huh. So she hired a crew of 20 carpenters that worked on the house day and night with Mrs. Winchester as its only architect. The house gradually mushroomed and outward and upward, reaching a height of seven stories in some places and encompassing an estimated between 500 and 600 rooms. Well, today we know the house as the Winchester Mystery House. It was originally called the, the Lanada Villa. So that's it was that name for a long time before it was called the Winchester Mystery House. 
so it said that Sarah gave day-to-day guidance for the construction and proceeded, which proceeded around the clock, and some say without interruption until her death, at which time the work immediately ceased. But Sarah's biographer, however, says that she routinely dismissed workers for months at a time to take such rest as they might. The house is almost made entirely of redwood, as it was her favorite, though she disliked how it looked, therefore had all the wood refinished with a faux grain and stained. It's estimated that about 20,000 gallons of paint were used to paint the house. So just a couple. Just a, yeah, you know, everyone's got a few buckets of paint down in their basement, and this lady had a friggin' fallout shelter full. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like, and at one point, they, um, the railroad that was nearby, they made like a off ramp to her house to deliver building materials. Off ramp, so, like yeah, like the, the they built rail tracks that like led up to her house, pretty much. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. So in eighteen eighty eight, Sarah's favorite niece, Marianne Daisy Merriam, would come and live with her aunt for the next fifteen years, leaving when she got married in nineteen o three. Picture of her. So Sarah was thought to be kind and generous to her employees and even let neighborhood children play on the grounds when she played piano for them. And so the house kind of got a notoriety from early on as because no one really knew what was going on with Sarah. She just kept building this house, but everyone she was really nice to everyone around them. So no one could really complain. So I got some pictures here of some of the early years of the house. So you can see that tower at the top there. That was kind of the seventh story there. Oh my god. Look, I mean, it looks like a ma- it looks like a really intricate dollhouse. Mm-hmm. Right? Wow. So then in 1906, an earthquake did incredible damage, reducing the seven-story house to four stories. The only reason it wasn't completely destroyed was because it had a floating foundation and as well as the the building was primarily built from wood. Whereas a lot of other buildings in the area were built from stone, like concrete and stuff around the time, and they just crumbled. Um, and I got a picture of some of the damage. Oof. So the carpenters were hired to repair the house, um, but she refrained from venturing any higher than the remaining four stories. Um, there were sections of the house that were just closed off and never got fully repaired um, for whatever reason. So. In 1910, Sarah would buy a second home in Atherton to be closer to her niece, and she spends a lot of her remaining years here. Hmm. So, as of today, the house features roughly 161 rooms. Imagine 161 rooms in a house. (laughs) No. No. No, please. And we're talking 40 bedrooms and two ballrooms, though one was unfinished. Okay, but the real question is, are all 160 rooms accessible? Well, accessible is one thing, but also <laughs> like open to the public is another thing entirely. Fair. <laughs> like, so, like I said, some of the rooms were completely sealed off after the earthquake. Like a bunch of the um, rooms near the front of the house, she just kind of just nailed it all up and like said, fuck it, <laughs> built the rest of the house. So, sure, um, I mean, they're at there have been restoration um, activities that have been happening to slowly kind of make those areas more available to people, but yeah. Hmm. Um, there are 47 fireplaces. Oh my god. 
10,000 panes of glass. Ah. 17 chimneys with evidence of two others. Which I'm not sure what that means exactly. Two basement levels. Three so elevators. Like, wait, hold on. Basement. Two basement levels. Then it's a basement and a sub-basement. Sure. Whatever you want to call it. B1 and B2. <laughs> Hell and the next layer. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yes, they also said three elevators, which is also incredibly rare at the time. Like, fancy. Like, we're talking, like, is being built in the early 1900s, right? So Yeah, wow. Um, the prime numbers 7, 11, and 13 are re- repeatedly represented throughout the house. Either it's in the number of windows in a room or the numbers of stairs on a staircase. These numbers were very important to Sarah and to Francis Bacon, apparently. And they've got I chandeliers. Didn't... Sorry? Oh, no, sorry. I was just going to say, I do not remember that research in my... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we'll get to that, trust me. (laughs) Ah, yes. So there's a staircase that leads abruptly to nowhere, halting at the ceiling. And I've got a picture of that. So there's a bunch of really weird stuff about this house that just doesn't make sense. So yeah, this is one of the things, the staircase that goes into the ceiling. Oh, hot damn. Um, there, there are hand and laid parquet floors and trim in a vast variety of colors and materials. This is an example of one of these floors, which is fucking wild. So like so all they... these pieces are cut and then like right. hand assembled, like it's like wooden mosaic, but with wow. fancy designs. Oh, what was that? Anything? That that mirror always like throws me off. So I always think that, like, for a half second, that that frame—it's a doorway. Is, 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 is yeah. a doorway, and yep. it's just like going off and do a separate part. Like the the stairs just split. <laughs> I yeah, I love that. That is wild. Um, here's a picture of the ballroom. It is the only room in the house that's constructed almost entirely without nails. Which is what? thought to be a homage to Solomon's Temple, which was built the same way. Oh my wow. god. Wow. Just like interlocking pieces? Yeah, I'm it? assuming it must have been like some sort of carpentry marvel <laughs> that way. It doesn't really elaborate on it. Um, there is a door on the second floor that just opens outward to a sheer drop to the ground below. Well, that's called fun. the door to nowhere. So yeah. Um, there's many places where there's rooms within rooms. Um, upside down pillars can be found throughout the house. Um, and the Winchester State was virtually self-sufficient with its own carpenter and plumber's workshop, along with on-premise water and electrical supplies and a sewage draining system, which, again, was very rare at the time that this place was built. Wow. There is a door that opens to a solid wall. Um, there are skylights around the house, um, but Notable among them is one that's in the floor. So this is the one that's on the floor and and the rails there. That's pretty great. Um, There is a switchback staircase. Oh my god, I love these so much. Uh, It goes seven flights total with 42 steps, but only raises about nine feet as each step is about two inches high. It's thought that it may have been built to accommodate not just her small stature, because she was four foot ten, but she also had crippling arthritis later in life. Oh, wow. So this would allow her to move around the house still. That is 
just fucking wild. Yeah, it looks it looks like an Escher painting, right? Yes, totally. Um, there are stained glass windows throughout this this house. Um, most of the glass windows were made by a company called Pacific American Decorative Company. Um, but some were made through other custom commissions. Um, some were designed specifically for her, or she designed them herself. Um, one of her favorite things was um, she really liked the spiderweb motif. So this is some of the spiderweb windows. Um, and then there was a couple windows where uh, stained glass windows were supposedly designed by Tiffany himself, like the turquoise Tiffany. <laughs> right, right. Wow. Now here's a picture of one of those. Oh my god. Yeah, and one of the windows that he designed um, was designed so that the prismatic crystals would cause like a rainbow to be cast across the room, but the wall was installed on a I mean, the window was installed on an interior wall in a room with no light exposure, preventing it the effect from ever being seen. Um okay, that's depressing. <laughs> and here's another one of stained glass windows. That was just full of them. Wow. Yeah, the details just phenomenal. Yeah, that is just that is an intense level of craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. Man. Uh, so there are tiny doors that lead into large spaces, large doors that lead into very small spaces. The home's conveniences that were very rare at the time of construction included steam and forced air heating. So the house is actually heated. Um, there modern indoor toilets and plumbing, push button gas lights. So she won't she wasn't walking around with a lantern, she was pushing buttons. She had it all figured out. <laughs> um, and she had a personal hot shower and there was only one in the building. Wow. And then the most precious thing in the house, a hidden safe was discovered in the ballroom. Inside are, there was found two locks of hair, one from her husband and one from her daughter. Oh my god. And just a couple other pictures here just of some cool details. So there were these like little brass um, notions everywhere throughout the house that were all intricately carved or detailed. And like she had these like little brass corners that would go into the quarters of steps of like a stairwell. So they didn't dust, didn't get trapped back there, made cleaning easier. And they were all like carved and or just completely ornate. Like even the hinges, the inside of the hinges of the doors had these similar kind of carvings. That's so cool. And here is an example of one of the walls, which has like this very embossed raised effect of flowers on it. Hmm. And then there's this cool building, this cool room that I just like. What? That's neat. Mm -hmm. Oh. All right. Oh, right? That's so cool. I I love that. So that would be one of the tops of the towers, right? Yeah, that is like the highest point now, I believe. It's called the Witch's Cap is what they call it. Heck yeah. <laughs> this is cool. where the ghost of her niece lived? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> on September 5th, 1922, Sarah passes away in her home due to heart failure. 
Here is the only photograph that we have of her. Um, upon Sarah's death, in accordance to her 12-page, 13-part will, signed by her 13 times, Sarah had her entire estate divided up in generous portions to be distributed among a number of charities and those people who had faithfully spent years in her service. Her favorite niece and secretary, Marion Marriott, oversaw the removal and sale of all of Sarah's furnishings and personal property. Roy Lieb, Mrs. Winchester's attorney of many years, had been named in her will as the executor of, state, of her estate. Supposedly, it took six trucks working eight hours a day for six weeks to remove all the furniture from the home. This has been disputed by the Winchester biographer, but I imagine it was probably would have taken a long time. Um, Sarah made no mention of the house in her will at all, and appraisers considered the house completely worthless due to the damage caused by the earthquake and the unfinished design and, well, impractical nature of its whole construction. So it was sold at auction to a local investor for over 135000 for a house with 160 rooms. Oh my god. It was subsequently leased for 10 years to John and Mime Brown, who eventually would purchase the home. Um, in April 1923, the Browns would move into the house and begin public tours. Uh, this would be within like five months of her death. And um, Mame Brown would be, of course, the first tour guide. So yeah, right away they started bringing people into the house. Um, in the 1970s, restorations would begin and rooms would be furnished with period-appropriate furniture. So like a house now is like almost completely furnished. So the thing that has puzzled researchers and enthusiasts for decades is why was this house built this way? So strange rooms, doors, stairs, windows, who, had, who continues to build a house for 38 years? The mystery around this grew all the more intense thanks to the unusually close-knit bond she shared with her staff. Winchester spent an unusual amount of money on making sure that her servants lived in comfort, with claims that she paid them twice the average wage that they would have received somewhere else. She also reportedly treated them all like family. In return, the staff gave her unquestioning loyalty and never spoke to journalists about the, her, their unusual boss's habits or motivations. On the day that she died, her servants walked away from the property and in a move that would be unheard of today, of, in, the said, in a move that would be unheard of in today's era of tell-all books, they never spoke a word about what went on in that house. As with huh. any such mystery, in a vacuum of actual details, rumors grew like weeds. <laughs> so Sarah, Sarah was a very secretive person, and a lot of what we know is gossip from the National Enquirer, which is a tabloid newspaper that still goes on today, um, as she was a socialite, so people loved to talk about her. Like, it was the celebrity gossip rag, right? Except it was just, like, wealthy people. Um, Richard Allen Wagner, he's the guy who runs the website thetruthaboutsarahwinchester.com, says that on a tour of the house, a senior tour guide informed him that in the old days, tour guides were encouraged just to make stuff up to give some spice to the story. So a lot of the stuff that people know about this comes from the tours and whatever rumors have come out, and it's just snowball effect, telephone game, all sorts of crazy-ass shit came up. So the story that I've told you so far is pretty much grounded in reality and fact and is considered to be the actual fact. Um, but the po most popular account goes something like this. So in 1881, a distraught Sarah sought the advice of a famous Boston medium known as Adam Coons. Coons performed a seance and told Sarah that because of the number of people that have been killed by Winchester rifles, she was cursed by the Winchester fortune. 
He said that angry spirits demanded that she move to California and build them a house. Upon moving to California, Sarah began to hold seances every night at midnight, where she would receive instructions for building the next day. These seances supposedly come complete with Ouija boards and 13 colored robes. And every night at midnight, she would ring an alarm bell to tell the spirits that it was seance time. And then she would ring it again at 2 a.m., signaling that it was time for them to depart. Right. <laughs> to appease the angry spirits, Sarah had to keep construction going 34, sorry, 24-7, 365 days a year, never stopping, because as soon as she stopped, she would die. All the strange stairs to nowhere, doors that opened to walls, these oddities were all supposedly to confuse the spirits. Other ways that she tried to ward off these spirits included um, there was only one working toilet in the, in the Winchester and said that all the other restrooms were decoys to confuse spirits. She also, <laughs> she also <laughs> slept in a different room every night as an extra measure to throw the spirits off her trail. And number 13 of the spiderweb motifs found around the house are thought to be protective symbols. Hmm. That is what most people know about the situation. So yeah, it was a house built to like lock in, <laughs> lock in ghosts and that she was like super into that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but we have absolutely no record of her ever meeting Adam Coons, nor is there any evidence to support the idea that she was a spiritualist or had any inclination to believe in communication with the dead. Her closest companion and nurse of many years, Henrietta Severs, firmly denies that Sarah had any spiritualistic leanings of any kind. And was Lady Winchester haunted by the idea of the lives that her husband's business had taken? The Winchester House historian Janet Bohm dismisses this theory, and she says... People back then didn't have massive guilt complexes over guns. They were useful tools, something that people needed to survive. So it was very likely she wasn't haunted by the idea that the guns were responsible for the deaths. Like it, the guns were highly favored during the that war, the Civil War, <laughs> that one. Um, so, like naturally, in war, it's going the guns are going to be responsible for the deaths of many people. But it wasn't likely that she felt that way. Though we never know for sure. Um, and yeah, I'm going to talk about some other rumors and stuff that's come up. Um, tour guys at the house often claim that Sarah Winchester had patented various architectural features in the house, but a simple search of U.S. patent and trademark database produces zero patents assigned to her. Um, Houdini. So in 1924, Harry Houdini would visit the house on Halloween, seeking to debunk the paranormal stories. He leaves with more questions than answers and famously referred to the house as the Winchester Mystery House, and that's where it got its name. Oh, okay. Um, when Sarah moved to California, she had a relative named Enoch H. Party, who had been a highly respected physician and had become governor of California. This is only of interest as Enoch and his son were both considered prominent occultists and Knight Templar Freemasons. Not just that, but Enoch was a part of the Bohemian Club. Stop it right now. <laughs> in 1903, another member of the Bohemian Club, President Theodore Roosevelt, would come to California to ask Enoch to run as his VP in the 1904 national election. Enoch turned him down. During this trip, Roosevelt also attempted to visit Sarah, but was also turned away. Does this mean anything? Who knows? Oh, what? my God. So, yeah. <laughs> Grove. My ass getting called out on right half of the stuff. 
um, for those who are listening at home, uh, Bohemian Grove was the test story that we did when we did our first test recording. I love this so much. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> so, of course, now we've got to talk about the hauntings. So, over the years, staff and visitors have reported a various variety of different encounters, from hearing footsteps, banging doors, mysterious voices, sound of someone running across the rooftops, reports of doorknobs turning on their own, strange bobbing lights floating through the building, and windows that bang so hard that they shatter. Oh, and of course, cold spots. Of course. So here are a couple of the general hauntings that were reported. So, the Handyman. So, reporting to continue his repair on the fireplace in the Grand Ballroom is a black-haired man known as the Handyman. He's sometimes seen pushing a spectral wheelbarrow, but may just so, but some people just report feeling a presence in the ballroom or seeing the chandelier swing by itself. Mm. Um, the, the Daisy bedroom, which is located near the front of the house, is said to be haunted. This is the room that Sarah was supposedly trapped in during the 1906 earthquake. Staff and visitors have reported hearing heavy sighs coming from the room, seeing a dark figure, report camera malfunctions, and even photos featuring a strange white rippling mass. I tried to find you some ghost pictures, guys, but I didn't find anything. Hmm. It actually looked like a, you know, remotely ghost picture. <laughs> um, the Hall of Fires, called so because of several fireplaces in the area of this house. This is also considered ripe for spiritual activity. During a restoration project, a man had been working in the hall when he felt a tap on his shoulder. He turned to find nothing and continued working, at which point he felt a hand press against his back hard. At that point, he promptly left. Yeah. <laughs> Um, another spirit is said to reside in the basement, known as Clyde, and he likes to appear and hang out near the old coal chute. Um, the Lady in Black. One staff member reports seeing a small woman dressed in black who's thought to be Sarah wandering in the grounds. Um, in one of the second story windows, there have been reports of a translucent, bushy-haired female spirit. And huh. tour guides allegedly try to their best to avoid the third floor corridors at night because the sounds of footsteps and voices are often heard. Nope. <laughs> so many visitors do claim that the house does feel haunted and haunted, but there are environmental psychologists, which I didn't know was a thing. They theorize that the odd layout of the house is what contributes to this feeling of it being haunted or unsettling. Huh. So if Sarah was truly sane. And there was no ghosts. Why the heck was the house built this way? The real Sarah Winchester was aware of how her building project looked to outsiders. In a 1906 letter that she wrote after the earthquake destroyed a third of her work, she confessed that the house looked like a crazy person built it. So she was aware that like this looks fucking wild. Well, there's another theory that supposedly answers all this that hurts my brain, but I'm going to try and summarize it as simple as I can. So Francis Bacon was known for his use in creation of ciphers. This combined with Sarah's the theosophic views and Masonic background, we get an intelligent woman with unique interests and perspective. The house is thought to represent the Masonic journey, that all those who enter are considered initiates, and that only those who truly understand Sarah and deserve to proceed will become enlightened and move forward in, this, in the uh, quest of Mason Masonic knowledge. So numerology appears to be used all around the house along with encrypted phrases, phrases using Bacon Cipher, all hidden in plain sight. Honestly, some of the things that I, that I see presented to support the story, I can buy. Some windows 
um, exists with Shakespeare quotes that refer to Francis Bacon's favorite passage on resurrection. I'm going to show you the windows. Hmm. These are located in the main ballroom. Oh, wow. So yeah, I I buy that Sarah was a clever woman with an obsession with Bacon and Shakespeare. That this makes sense to me. There are things that can be easily seen as clear homages to the things that she loves. But then we get into numerology, and it's supposed to be a coded message that the entire house is trying to tell. My eyes start to kind of glaze over, and immediately I start thinking of Jim Carrey in the movie The Number 23. I don't know if you've ever seen oh, that movie. My God, Kayla. Right? <laughs> So I'll be honest, I know very little about numerology, and it's probably something we should cover at some point. But my perception has always been that you can twist any numbers to get whatever answers you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Like, does the number of windows not make your equation add up? Why not add the number of nails? How many letters are in the name of the color of the walls? Like, right. the conclusions that people come to this way, uh, taking the most abstract things and applying numbers to it, I just, mm. That's, yeah, that's how, that's how a good uh astrologist writes horoscopes right mm -hmm. you're in aries you're like real hot-headed but on other days you might not be it's like okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah this theory comes from the site the truth about sarah winchester.com and it's where i got a lot of the details of sarah being normal thankfully i found other resources to back this up as well but um when I hit the last 10,000 words of this article, or this um, article, it was just numerology and it had me questioning things. Sure enough, the guy that runs the site, Richard Allen Wagner, also runs the truth about Shakespeare.com. And as an author of several books that immediately make me think of a little more genre adventurous Dan Brown. I immediately love it. Oh my God. He's also a Mason. Not that it's yes. count against him. But it's worth mentioning as one of his articles is titled Breaking the Masonic Code in Shakespeare's Sonnet. No. Just <laughs> no. Oh, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> so oh. you could leave that if you want to get into this whole numerology of the house is all a giant secret code. Um, but, you know, rumors continue to grow year over year, further obfuscating the more boring truth of who Sarah was. We have no evidence that she was a paranoid woman that talked to ghosts. But that's what most people know about her if you if you ask. This misinformation is further compounded by the highly effective marketing of the house as a tourist attraction. A mystery house designed by spirits is one of the taglines. I doubt that this is the legacy that Sarah had in mind, but if the bizarre mythology is what's keeping the house standing, then it can't really be all bad. Where were we? Oh yeah, all these rumors and stuff keeping the house going, that's cool. So today, the house has been designated a California historical landmark. Apparently, the states does not have tiers like they do in England. <laughs> and it's also registered registered as a sorry. It's also listed as a national register of historic places, and is continues to be a popular tourist attraction. So here's a picture of kind of like a eagle's eye view of the situation. You see just how big this house is. This just doesn't even look like a real place. No, it, it yeah, it, it it looks like a model. It looks like someone's demented model train <laughs> <laughs> railroad. I I don't even know, but it's what's amazing to me is it, I mean it looks like its own compound basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Nuts. Yeah, so the property was originally about 162 acres, but today the estate has been reduced to about 4.5, which is the bare minimum amount to keep, contain the house and its outbuildings. Wow. And here's a picture of the front. Um, so today the house is owned by Winchester's Investments Limited, which is a private company that represents the descendants of John and Mine Brown. Um, for the most part, the house has been preserved as it was made, but the renovations are consistently ongoing. Large sections of the home was never repaired after the earthquake. The Winchester Mystery House has also made a few improvements and additions. In 2016, it was announced that another room with period furniture was being built in the courtyard. And then there's an attic space that contains a pump organ, Victorian couch, dress form, sewing machine, and paintings. This room was made available for viewing by the public and features a shooting range game. So hopefully oh. Sarah didn't feel bad about the guns thing or else. Yeah, that's an interesting choice. <laughs> right. Um, and then in 2017, they debuted their first new daytime tour in 20 years. So which is called the Explore More Tour. This tour takes guests to rooms that were never before open to the public and explores rooms that were left unfinished at the time of Sarah's death. So there's two tours that you can take. You can take that tour, or you can take like the classic tour, um, a little bit shorter. Another picture house looks, looks fucking cool. Wow. Whoa. Jeez. Um, and the tour company is still finding shit in the house that they never knew about. Um, according to a blogger named Nim, who worked as the, at the house as a tour guide, they found two wells in 2016. Oh. They found two what? Wells. Water wells. Wow. Huh. Um, additional attractions have been added over the years, including the Victorian Garden, which is pretty much just landscaping the courtyard and stuff. Um, it's all done up nice in Victorian-esque style with statues and hedges, you name it. Um, there's also been arcade games added in some places, and axe throwing. Which I don't know what that has to do with anything, but okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you can go throw axes at the, at the mystery house if you want. Sure. Not at the house itself, but in the yeah. general vicinity. <laughs> um, there's even a Houdini-themed escape room that's in the works, uh, which I'm curious about. Um, so while the house, house was closed during some of the pandemic, it seems to be open again. Um, it's closed only Thanksgiving and Christmas. Otherwise, the house is open year-round 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. during the week or 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. on the weekends. Picture the house. Um, so, yeah, there's the um, the the old school mansion tour, um, which is goes to, it's an hour-long tour that goes to 110 of the rooms, of the 160 rooms, Ooh. and the garden. And it's uh, tickets are $42 per adult with reduced rates for children and senior. Um, and then there's the other tours as well. Um, they also have an ADA tour, which is a wheelchair accessible tour, which is a 45 minute video exploration of the house that gives access to the garden and you get the gift, gift shop as well. It's a $20 kind of ticket and you get to all that stuff. So, if, cause there's no way you can go through if you, um, have like a movement disability the house is just like up and down stairs all over the place tight narrow passages that kind of thing um axe throwing is just 24 dollars, and you don't it doesn't include a tour so you can just go do that if you want 
Okay. Or if you're super lazy and you're you live far away, or you don't want to risk going out in the pandemic yet, you can get unlimited access to a 360 tour of the house for nine dollars, which is something Thank that you. Nathan had done um, a while back. Nathan decided he was going to use this for a dungeon in one of his games. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I got a chance to kind of go through that and like, um, other than the the like three tour thing crashing <laughs> a couple times, it was really neat. Um, and it was really easy to get turned around in the house. Like, there's just like so much going on. It's 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 well it's wild. It's worth it. Like I'd say, yeah, you know, pay the nine dollars, check it out because it's hard to imagine what it's actually like inside until you've done something like that. Right. So the house has had a fairly large cultural impact. So here are some of the ways that it's been commemorated over the years. Um, the Winchester House is a direct inspiration to Walt Disney for the haunted mansion at the mm-hmm. Disney parks. Um, they actually came out to the property, like the uh, Disney Imagineers or whatever, and they came and checked it out and like used a bunch of references from it before they went and designed the actual haunted mansion. So that's a picture I sent to you is the haunted mansion. Um, there is a musical ghost story that takes place in the house known as the Haunting of Winchester. Musical. <laughs> so... Yep, a, that's the part I was trying to parse. Yep. <laughs> here's a picture from the play itself. Um, Amazing. It was commissioned by the San Jose Repertoire Theater for the 25th anniversary season and is premiered September to, to October 2005. Hmm. And there seems to be like some interesting effects and stuff. Like I kind of looked at some of the screenshots and like there's like wire work and stuff. It's kind of neat. Um, there's a comic book that um, uses it as a setting, and it's got this really fucking cool cover. Oh, oh what? Right. Yeah, that's badass. That's so it's cool. Called that House of Penance. Um, of course, there's been a billion like ghost hunting shows have gone on there, including MythBusters. <laughs> Hey. <laughs> so yeah, there are so there are um several books that use it as an inspiration, including Vanishing Point, Earthquake, Weather, and House of Suns. And then yeah, we have the television show. So Mythbusters, Ghost Adventures, Ghost Brothers, Buzzfeed Unsolved, American Horror Story even filmed some stuff in there. And it appeared on a British paranormal t- television show called Most Haunted, where they conducted a seven hour live TV investigation of the house for the Travel Channel on Monday, October 19, 2007, making television history as its first ever seven hour live TV paranormal investigation. <laughs> Break that exclusive record. Yeah, really? Jeez. Um, in 2007, Winchester, starring Helen Mirren, based on Sarah's story, would begin filming in the actual house. The Winchester Mystery House closed its doors to the public for a 72-hour whirlwind shoot of the exteriors, aerials, and a few of the interior rooms. The rest of the filming was done in the director's home country of Australia. Lead actress Helen Mirren did extensive research, research and visited the estate property to, or privately to better understand Sarah's story and immerse herself in the world. Um, here is a picture of Helen Mirren as Sarah. So, like, I think, yeah, it was, they did a great job at um, assimilating the style and everything. Wow. Right? Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, this is actually a movie. Um, I watched it because that's what I do for you guys. <laughs> All for you. Um, it is a horror movie. Uh, it is less scary than the Ted the Caver movie. <laughs> this is the cover here. Um, the cover's great, though. The cover's so good. Holy crap. So Helen Mirren's amazing in it. Uh, one of the things that I really appreciated about the movie itself is that despite it being like a ghost story, um, they did not portray Sarah as a crazy Good. at all. They like, you know, she's a very grounded and intelligent woman. And like, yeah, Helen Mirren did a fucking stellar job. Um, seeing some of the mansion itself, like live, you know, like a scene and stuff was really cool as well. Um, but yeah, the story is very, very, very loosely based around reality. Uh, Sarah is living there with her niece, who um, has a son that's there, and there are ghosts in the house that are trying to fuck shit up, basically. And a psychologist has been hired by the Winchester Gun Company to assess Sarah's level of stability to see if she's still, if they have the vote, that the board can vote her off, basically. Mm. Of course ghosts happen um so yeah like the production value is pretty decent um there are some jump scares as you'd expect but it's not that scary and well as for a general horror movie it's it's pretty standard b movie horror film so don't go unexpected like anything crazy but it is interesting especially if you're really interested in the house um so I guess the question is, what do we make of all this? Do we have a woman teetering on the edge of mad madness, haunted by the victims of the rifles whose name she bears, or an eccentric, eccentric obsessed with secret societies, messages, and codes? So Janan Brom has her own theory. See, when Sarah and William lost their daughter, they poured themselves into building their family home in New Haven together. Quote, I think Sarah was trying to repeat the experience by doing something they both loved. End quote. Bohm also suspects that Sarah was just an ardent, albeit eccentric, philanthropist who used her family fortune to purposely employ the San Jose community. See, from March, 18, March 1879 to 1896 is a period known as the Long Depression, which was the greatest recession up until the point of the Great Recession in the 1930s. Many people in this community may not have had jobs at all if it wasn't for her hiring them. She had a personal staff estimated at 36, but that doesn't include all the laborers and carpenters that she hired to work on the house nonstop. Well, by the time that she was in her 20s, her family was well, well off. During her childhood, her parents were part of the working class. She knew more than anyone the hardships that came from a family surviving paycheck to paycheck. By never ceasing construction, she got to continue doing what she enjoyed and experimenting. The house itself is its own work of art, but it was more than that. Quote, she had a social conscience, and she did try to give back. End quote. Boom offered, noting that there's a hospital that Sarah built in her husband's name. Quote, this house in itself was her biggest social work of all. And that was a Winchester house. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I would love to go. Yeah, it definitely seems like something that would be really cool to go. Um, they don't have air conditioning, just so you know. So if you go during the summer, expect to what the death? What? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, they didn't want to break up all the stuff, right? Right. So. Right. Totally. Yeah. But yeah, well, um, like, you can't air condition something that big. It's just impossible. Yeah, it would not be economical at all. No. Yeah. 
That was buck wild. Mm-hmm. Got a little bit of everything in there. It goes. I love it. Got Bohemian Grove. That <laughs> that that kills me. I Delia Bacon found deceased. Hallie found deceased on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week. Next week, we're back to talk about another segment in the Gen Sega. I have spent the last couple months corresponding with Theo, a survivor that had the unfortunate luck of knowing Jen and Jack for years, and we're now ready to tell that heart-wrenching tale. As always, links, pictures, and additional information can be found on our website at thehumanexception.com. To keep up with all things exceptional, be sure to follow us on our Twitter or Facebook at The Human Exception. Do you have a story that you want us to cover? Want to tell us that we're wrong or just want to say hi? You can email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com. And to get in on the fun, you can come join us on our Discord server. Link can be found on our contact page. Keep on being exceptional, humans, and have a wonderful weekend. Mm-hmm.